Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me I've got Mike Guerin. How you doing, Mike? I'm well, I hope you guys are. Good, good. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and your department. So yeah, sure. Um, so I've been in the fire service for quite some time. I'm spending my 31st year in the fire service. I started as a, uh, a young volunteer in a local fire department in my town. Uh, after a brief stint in the Marine Corps, um, I joined a, a pretty large metropolitan fire department on the East Coast. Still involved in, in the volunteer fire department. It's become a combination fire department. I'm the fire chief there. And uh, so I'm in about, I'm working on my 20th year as a, a, a career guy in the Metropolitan Fire Department on the East Coast. I'm a career captain on an engine company there, a really, really busy engine company on the, on the west side there. You know, that, that's basically it, man. I, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the fire service and have just a, a pretty deep passion for it. Tell us about the search culture in your department. So we, um, a, a bit about the fire department here, where I'm at my career fire department, the one that I was involved with, four person engine companies, four person ladder companies, five person rescues. We have two rescue companies. On uh, initial house fire assignment, we run four one and one, uh, four engine companies, one ladder, one battalion. And the working fire assignment gets uh, the rescue and an additional battalion. So um, right out of the gate, we, we commit, you know, uh, 16, 17 people to the initialist. Uh, I'm sorry, 20, 21 with the battalion to the initial assignment. And then the working fire gets an additional five off the rescue and one additional battalion. Typically, you know, ladder company functions, engine company functions, you know, pretty much we don't have predetermined assignments or anything like that. We, we uh, leave that up to the incident commander. But historically, the ladder company catches the search most every time. You know, of course, most people, I mean, we, we have the, the ability to move laterally or whatever we want to do as far as incident commanders. But um, if you ride a ladder company, truck company, whatever, whatever you want to refer to it as, those are the guys that typically catch the search. What's the time delay before a ladder gets there, usually? So it, I think it's all dependent upon the response area. You know, we do not have single single house ladder companies. There, there is no such thing, you know. Uh, we have an engine company in every fire station, and then the, the two pieces are, you know, are, are the ladder companies. But so it, it's all dependent upon the, the response area. Typically not very, not very long. I mean, they're, they're second, third arriving most every time. If your ladder is going to be delayed and you have you know, two or three engines on scene, is one of those, are one of those engines going to pick up the search? If, yeah, if, I think they would. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think it's all, I think it's all scenario dependent. You know, if, you know, if the ladder's delayed, if the closest ladder is uh, on another call, and you're getting a, a ladder company from, from farther away for sure. I think, yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's, there, there would never be a time where we just, Oh man, the ladder company has got to catch the search. You know, it, if the incident commander feels the need to put the engine on the second new engine on the search, then yeah, for sure. So we talked pre-show about this grab and it's a little bit different than the other ones that we've had on. There's, there's some parts that we're definitely going to highlight. So we're going to kind of break this down to, into two parts, what happened and then, how you got the background of what you chose to do. 
let's start off and, and talk about the grab. Uh, what, when, what, when was that? And, and take us through it. Yeah, sure. So um, it was right at shift change. We, we do shift change at eight o'clock in the morning. And um, so it was about 6.45. I usually get there about 6.30. A lot of our people do. I was in the shower, came out of the shower. I, it was right on the split between us and the, the, next, the next area there, I guess. So everything, everything equal, it probably would have been a drag race. I was a bit behind coming out. So 6.45 in the morning, I jump on the engine. I think, I think some, some things that, that don't get talked about often enough is the whole you know, the whole team effort. Uh, I'm pretty adamant when I talk about this in that, you know, the the dispatchers are, are common left out of the equation, commonly left out of the equation. Uh, we turned out of the fire station, hit the main road, and within like 30, 45 seconds, um, one of our dispatchers, you know, took that good call, got that good information, and he was relaying it to us that there was probably somebody in the building. So, you know, talk about combat ready or whatever it is, you know, we were able to get in that good mindset that, hey man, probably somebody's in there, turned around, looked at my guys on the back, hey, you know, pretty good chance that somebody's in there. So going down the road, uh, we were right behind the first two arriving. The engine, the, the first two engine pulled up, the ladder pulled up right behind them and we were right, right behind them. So pretty big advocate of laying away. I'm, I'm a reverse out kind of guy. My driver knows that. We back down. My driver laid away. The incident commander, the, the first arriving captain, his guy stretched to the sea of the fire, pulled the first line. He assigned the ladder company to the search. I went face to face with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. He told me, hey man, second line. Turned around, looked at my guys. Hey, second line, you know, we're taking the second line. I was pretty confident that's what, that's what we were gonna get. My guys said, hey man, go in there, make sure we find the stairwell. That's what I did, because I was right behind him. Looking at the house, I was I just basic building construction. I thought the stairwell was going to be to the left. I was a bit fooled by that. Not a big deal. We found the stairwell. Uh, I made the second floor. Uh, my guys were coming behind me with the second floor. The first new engine company was was uh, had made the seat of the fire. They were they were flowing water heat above us. I knew that the fire was above us, so I was sending my guys to the attic. The ladder, the ladder was committing the search. I was in the right place at the right time, standing at the st top of the stairwell. I made the statement that I knew there were people in there. There were probably people in there. Anybody that was not hooking ceilings or flowing water was committed to the search, you know? I was like, hey man, if you're not doing anything, then uh, let's aid with the search because, you know, it's a big deal. 6.40 in the morning, people were probably sleeping. So, and that's exactly what we did. Paul Farrell, the guy on the back of the, the ladder, I, I think this is really important. Again, I'm an engine guy. I've spent every bit of my career on the engine. Paul Farrell was doing a, a really good left-hand wall search, just doing his thing. His captain, they were alternating in between um, rooms. He was doing his thing, left-hand, right-hand wall search. Whatever he was doing, he found the woman. He called out. He goes, hey, I've got a victim. So right place at the right time. I was three or four feet away from him. Found him hooked up with him. I said, all right, Paul, let's go out the door, man. Uh, I got up underneath our arms. I knew I had just come from the top of the stairwell. I knew where the stairwell was at. So hooked her up underneath her arms. He grabbed her by the feet and uh, we went out the door. How big was the patient? Oh, really, really pretty small. Probably an elderly female, not, not 
um, geriatric or anything like that, but you know, middle-aged female, pro- I mean, 100, 120 pounds, nothing, nothing significant. What were smoke conditions inside like? Oh, uh, I mean, they were really, the, it had not, we had not got a hole in the roof yet. The, um, the fire was venting off out the alpha side. So it was venting out the front, the bedroom window. It was a room and contents that had extended into the attic, but it had not self-vented yet. So it was, uh, it was pretty thick and nasty. And about how far did you have to remove the victim from, from the stairs uh, to getting her outside? So from where we found her, from where we found her to the top of the stairs, probably 10 feet, 10, 15 feet down the stairs. And probably I would say another 30 feet to the front, out the front door to where we landed in the front yard. And uh, do you know if she was found in bed? Was she trying to escape or, or where was she at? So, yeah, she was, she was not, she was not in the bed. No, she was, she had exited the, the fire was in, in, um, in her bedroom. So she was trying to make it out. She was trying to get out. She, uh, she did not make it. She made, she made it to upstairs foyer, I guess you would call it. So uh, com- kind of a common area upstairs. Gotcha. What about time as far as from arrival to getting the victim out? Oh, man. I would say if I had to guess, I could probably figure it out. Probably less than, I would say less than 10 minutes because um, we were pretty quick. We were pretty quick to the house. Uh, we were pretty quick to the second floor, so I would say less than 10 minutes. If I had to guess, 10 to 15. All right. What I, what I found most interesting talking to you before is what happened after you got the victim out. So why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, so I'll have a little bit, little bit of background here. April of 2016, we lost a guy in a building fire that I happened to be, I had to be, happened to be the incident commander for uh, a guy named Richard, a kid named Richard Shelterman, salt of the earth, really good kid. And our fire department here learned a lot of lessons from that and, and a lot of lessons that we are really proud of. And one of those lessons that we learned is, uh, is the effects that hydrogen cyanide have on fire victims and have on firefighters. And none of this information is proprietary to me. It's not something that I woke up with and, and, um, and just, you know, came out of my hip on. A lot of guys and girls well before me did the research on this. A lot of people doing a really good things on hydrogen cyanide. Uh, and in particular, um, a, the Fire Smoke Coalition. Uh, those guys are, and girls are, are throughout the nation. And, and I don't even know if they, they remember having the conversation with me but they feeded me a lot of information that, that I've used, used here locally. And some of that information I fought to get, to get some things on our, our ambulances here in our county that uh, combat the effects of hydrogen cyanide poisoning. Everybody I talked to there was just overly, overly excited to share information with me about it. So here locally, we, um, we use so- sodium thiosulfate to combat the, um, the effects of hydrogen cyanide poisoning. What sodium thiosulfate does, and I'm surely not the authority on this, and I'm committing a lot of this from memory, but sodium thiosulfate, what it does is it takes hydrogen cyanide. Hydrogen cyanide bonds, bonds with your cells and will not allow your body to oxygenate. So no matter what you do, no matter how many King Airways, no matter how many tubes, no matter how much oxygen you try and deliver to the patient, it just will not allow the body to oxygenate. So what sodium thiosulfate does is it allows 
the body to metabolize hydrogen cyanide and allows you to kind of dispel that, that hydrogen cyanide, lets the body, gives the body the, uh, the ability to oxygenate. In our scenario, I happen to land in the front yard with a woman. I am overly familiar with uh, the medic supervisors that were there, with the paramedic in particular. I chose to ride the woman to the hospital because again, it was at shift change. I was coming on, I just happened to be there. We got a pulse back, we call it ROSC, return of spontaneous circulation, that's what we call it here locally. So we got ROSC, loaded her up in the ambulance, got her in the back of the bus, and on the way to the hospital, I'm actually ventilating, ventilating the woman. Um, one of my firefighters is riding with me. The paramedic's doing his thing. I just made mention of the sodium thiosulfate. You know, we go through all that. It's the first time that I was able to physically see it work. Um, and it did exactly what it was supposed to. She urinated on herself, expelled all of it, kind of, you know, did that thing. Her O2 sats within maybe five minutes, went from uh, 77% to the high 80s. So it did exactly what it was supposed to do. I was pretty excited about that because, again, going back to April 30th, 2016, it's something that our fire department fought for. It's something that, you know, was one of those positive things that came out of our tragedy. And uh, I was just really excited to see it work. Now, I don't tell many people this, but I'm a medic also, but I'm kind of curious on onset. And did you guys have end title with her? I, I, I wish I did know that information. We did. You know, they gave the, 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 the very common cardiac drugs, you know, the atropines, the epinephrines and all that. I do not, I do not know what the entitle was. But with that, um, kind of here locally, if we get ROSC, you know, there, there are different variables as to whether or not we're going to transport and end title is a big part of that. You know, um, what is their end title? They did make the decision to transport her. So I, I wish I knew that. I don't know the answer to that. Mike, how fast did, did you see a turnaround with her after you pushed the drug? So uh, as far as vital signs, I mean, it was pretty, it was really, I mean, fairly fast. I, I specifically remember um, the, the paramedic, I was sitting at the head, the paramedic, I remember him looking at the, the monitor and just out of the blue, he said, man, that stuff really works really well because he, he specifically, he was, you know, he was really involved in patient care. So he immediately um, recognized the change in the patient's, you know, vital signs, stuff like that. So him making mention of that is what kind of drew my attention to it. And he specifically said, he said, man, that stuff really works. Um, any other lessons learned that you want to share with the listeners? I think it's a great story. No, man, I, I'll tell you, I think, um, you, you know, there, I, I stand behind this. I mean, you know, we talk about this commonly, but it's all, you know, again, I was just in the right place at the right time, but you know, just that coordinated effort, everybody doing their job, you know, the guys, the guys on the engine company flowing water, you put the fire out, you immediately make the room more tenable, right? guys doing the search, all these different things. And that dispatcher doing, doing their job at the very beginning and getting that good information out to everybody, that, that's a big deal. I think it's everybody that's a part of it. So that good team effort, that, that, that unity and that, that drive is what, is what helps people. Absolutely. I think 
I know I pick up a lot when I do these grabs podcasts. I hope the listeners do too, uh, but it's not just enough that we get the victim out into the front door. And it's not just enough we get them to the front door, to the ambulance and to the hospital, but this, uh, you know, just, just thinking about the sodium disulfate and the treatment options that we have, the end result should be that they go back to living a happy life with their family. I really appreciate you sharing this and, and I hope uh, this will make a difference at some, some fire here in the future. No, I do too. I, that, you know, again, that, that sodium disulfate is what, what gives them that chance. And, uh, and that, that, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Mike, since this is kind of a new area that we haven't talked, if anybody wants to get a hold of you to get more information, maybe to get that case study and what you guys did uh, so they can you know, move forward in their own department, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And the, uh, they can call me on my cell phone. They can email me. You have both of those. A- anything you want to share, I'm an open book. Again, I'll tell you, I got the information from other people. And um, I'm glad to point anybody in the right direction. Um, I'm fortunate enough to know, know, know a lot of people. And, and I know those people will share the same information with anybody on your podcast that they shared with me. So glad to do it. Give them any, any, any bit of information about me you have. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. And I'll include that in the show notes uh, for anybody that wants uh, Mike's information. But if you have, if you make a grab or assist alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take that short survey. This information is for us, by us, and information um, is updated real time. We're always looking to share grab stories. I know a lot of people are making grabs and about half of them are willing to share and half aren't. Remember, we're not trying to make superstars out of anybody. We're just trying to share what actually happens in real life. And if we're not sharing what's happening in real life, people are just making it up. So it's real important. We can do it anonymously. Uh, we don't have to say your department's name. Just, just be open to sharing because I, I love hearing this. I know a lot of people do. If you want to share your grab story on our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe. You can uh, find me on Residential Primary Search, Making the Grab on Facebook or through When Things Go Bad. Also get a hold of Justin McWilliams or Nick Ledeen. Until next time, thanks for listening.